Good morning. Thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, nice to have the opportunity of, uh, to talk about something that not only touches uh, my heart and the missions team, but many people uh, that are part of our congregation and part of our membership. For anyone who does not know, I'm Sean Conrad, and I'm uh, the director of the, the missions team here at First Christian. And I had the privilege of starting uh, in that position a year ago and uh, have been very blessed with um, what, what our church has to offer. And uh, so I'll take a few minutes to set, set everything up, and then we'll go on with the presentations. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank Pastor Leonard and the eldership for allowing the missions committee to have this time to share with you uh, about the mission organizations that FCC supports and who, and who the ministries are that they touch. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to do a quick thank you, because at the end, if I don't do this now, I'll forget... But I um, uh, wanted to thank Brittany and Mary who helped help me and help the missions team set everything up, take care of the financial numbers, get us reports every month. Uh, Brian Christensen and the IT team who, are gonna, who set up the audio and the, and the video today. Um, we have uh, Mrs. Carrie Pennington with us today from the Sophia Women's Center. Uh, she's the director of the center and she's missing uh, church at, at, at uh, her husband's church for her to be here today. My Tuesday night group, they're the ones that are setting up and making lunch for us today. Um, you, the congregation, um, it's because of the body of Christ that provides funding that makes all of this possible so that we can reach out not only near but far and touch the lost in a dying world. Uh, my mission, the missions team who gather each month to, rep, each month to represent uh, FCC in the efforts that we have and the, enthousi- the enthusiasm that they have to reach out beyond our borders. <clears throat> and last but not least, my wife and my daughter, who love me unconditionally and give me the opportunity from time away from home to be here to serve with all of you. The, if you're wondering while we go through the presentations today, we're not going to touch on uh, the Dominican mission today. We recognize that as the marquee mission for FCC, and in the near future they will have their own presentation. They'll set that schedule up with Pastor Leonard. Um, So today we're presenting the seven missions that uh, our team has a personal relationship with. Again, the funding comes directly from your giving and your support. When we receive the offering each week, the first 12.5% is taken off and set aside as the church's tithe back to the Lord for all of the blessings that he bestows upon us. Um, The other information that you'll see uh, that will be on the insert that you have in your bulletin You have an insert that has a green copy and then one with a couple, three different colors across the top. Um, The other missions that are on that list we're using today as a kickoff of information and we will be submitting information whether it's a short blurb in the bulletin speaking about missions that we have that have a smaller role that uh, maybe we give to uh, or it'll be in the guide. But uh, we're using this today as a kickoff to keep the church informed of where your money goes when, when you give it to us, or, or when the church receives it. Uh, so in the bulletin insert, you'll see the uh, green column, and with that, that is the, missions, the, the breakdown of all the missions that we support and the monies that go to each one. The column down the left-hand side is the reference number. I will call out that number to give you an idea of which mission we are talking about as we go. 
Um, and then on the second page, and on the, on, on the far right column of that page, there's a quick little note as far as what their purpose is. And then on the other side is basically the same information, but a breakdown of where the money goes, whether it's a local mission, a national mission, or an international mission. So with that, I will start off presenting <clears throat> Shepherd's Gate Ministry. I'll talk for a couple moments before we look at any pictures or slides. Uh, and that's line item 5008. Uh, I was introduced to Shepherd's Gate in 2012. I met the president, uh, Terry Blake, through the church that, we, that I attended at that time, Crossroads, down in Wintersville, Ohio. Um, the areas around the world that Shepherd's Gate ministers to is, uh, of course, the largest portion is Thailand. We have a great relationship over there. Terry, last year, started to go to Mexico. He goes to a very dangerous area of Mexico. And uh, he was not only there last year, but he just returned a couple weeks ago. Last fall, or last spring, <clears throat> Terry came to Salem to meet with the missions team for dinner. And when we were meet, eating, when we were eating dinner, Terry shared something that really touched all of our hearts. When he went to Mexico, he met Pastor Ishmael and his wife Amy. Pastor Ishmael and his wife Amy uh, serve about two hours from their home. So they live in a little hut or whatever where the church is, and they rent their house out. Well, they were renting their house out for $150 a month. They were not paying the rent, so they were behind with the bank. They were, living, they were using the 150 to eat off of, eat and live. Well, that lasted about three weeks. The fourth week, they run out of food. So he takes his slingshot, he kills pigeons, and they cook and eat pigeons to be able to, 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 be able to sustain themselves. They truly believe that they're called to this little church because no one else will go there to serve. Uh, there's a large drug cartel uh, in the town. The drug cartel actually likes the church being there because it keeps the children obedient. Um, however that works out in their minds. But uh, So Terry came back last year, shared that with 10 people. Ten, he asked 10 people to give $20. And so now he sends 200 down a month just so that they can eat and they have gas money to travel around. And then the other 150, they utilize, he asked them to uh, promise that if we did that, that they would utilize the rent money for the rent because we want him to be good on his, on his mortgage. We want him to stay in good standing. And the church also, our church, made a special gift to help pay their back rent, to pay their back rent, to keep them in good standing. So that's some of the things that we do in, in Mexico. And I haven't been there yet, but I hope to go next year. In Thailand, there's many layers to it. I'll try to be brief and quick. We support four Pakistani families with rent money in the city of Bangkok. Um, if you watch or pay attention to the news at all, you know that ISIS uh, persecutes the church very heavily in Pakistan. They flee Pakistan, and they flee so quickly, a lot of times they forget to bring their papers and their passport. They get to Thailand. Thailand is very strict with their immigration. So now they're either going to be imprisoned, or if they think that the, that the people are working and making money on the side, they will bribe them. They go through a process with the United Nations trying to get refugee status to obtain new papers, but it's a very difficult task. These are uh, fellow Christians 
we sit with them, we talk, we conversate, we listen to their testimonies. We believe that um, we're really helping out the frontline issues that we have around the world with Christian persecution. And that's just one example. Um, if we have a picture we can put up on the screen, we put up the first. That's the House of Grace. When we go to Thailand, we land, we land in Bangkok and we're there for a day or two. And then we go 320 miles northwest to the little village of Moa. Uh, this is not far from the old uh, Burmese. Uh, it's now called Myanmar, their, their border. <clears throat> and there, Pastor Chulo and his wife, they're our missionaries. And the guest house is for junior high and senior high girls because public education ends in the sixth grade. So we sponsor them to go through junior high and senior high, and then they have the opportunity, if they want to further their education, to go to a Christian college. We sponsor all of that. The reason that we do that is that they have the opportunity to meet a Christian man. Thailand is 98% Buddhist. It's the largest concentration of Buddhism in the world for any one country. So if they don't meet a Christian at, at Bible college, their opportunities to marry Christian is very slim. If you go to the next picture, the next photo is uh, uh, Pastor or Brother Chulo and Sister Bell. They're holding a very special quilt made by our one and only Sally Carrier. Sally quilted that for them, and I had the opportunity in February of 2017 to deliver that. You can go to the next one. These are the eight girls that were there last year. I think we have 10 or 12 now. I didn't go this past February. They are all wearing uh, aprons that Diane Hostetler made for them, and I had, again, the opportunity to um, deliver those firsthand. Uh, the girls have wonderful Christian testimonies. They minister regularly. Um, don't want to say too many elms. That's not good for a public speaker. And they have a strong work ethic that both Brother Chulo and Sister Bell uh, nurture them in. The next photo, that little church is about 300 yards away from the House of Grace. The two are not necessarily affiliated, but Pastor Echo Say runs that church. Uh, 15 to 20 years ago, the first Christians that came into Moa, I'll guesstimate Moa is a town of, or a little village of maybe 500 to 1,000 people. There's a Buddhist temple there. Uh, they threw rocks at the Christians. They didn't want to hear what the Christians had to say. I don't think Pastor Echo Say was one of the first Christians there, but Pastor Echo Say, that church right there in 2013 was a thatch roof with bamboo poles, and that's where they held church. It got destroyed by termites, so they raised the money to build a new, a new church. We were there in 2016 for the dedication. We give them a gift every year, but I don't want you to think that we gave so much that we helped build that. But um, there are Christians there serving on the ground, they heard of a, of a village uh, a few miles away that didn't have any spiritual leadership, and now they are sending people out to continue um, to, to continue the Christian mission. We're going to show a video here in a moment. The man that you're going to see get baptized by Pastor Jeff is Patty Waugh. Patty Waugh is the first Christian uh, in a village of about 200. We passed that village on, a way, on the way to a, another little town that we go to for a two-day pastor's conference and a woman's, women's conference. And uh, before he got baptized, Paddy Wall helped us, because this is the dry season, he helped us dam up the water so that the water would be deep enough so that he could be baptized. 
Because of your confession of faith, and your belief in Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So you might not go on the trip. You might not think that five or ten dollars does much, but God always finds a way to take that amount and make it expand. He finds a way to touch people's hearts and make them give more. Sometimes we give when it hurts. I used to have a pastor that said, give till it quits hurting. Um, so uh, we, we just want you to know, as, as the missionaries, that in the short-term missionaries, Terry Blake, he explained once at a dinner, you know, the first couple years that I went, I felt like, you know, this is just sort of like an inconvenient vacation. What am I really doing? But he said that the encouragement that the full-time missionaries get from us showing up for a week, for two weeks, for sending a card or a letter, speaks volumes. So don't think that just because maybe you don't go out of the country or you don't go anywhere, that the money that you give is A, wasted, or B, that the Lord's not using it for his purpose. So with that, Brother Cliff Votaw, or, uh, yeah, or I'm sorry, I have uh, Debbie Vote is coming up, and she's line 5010. She's going to introduce her son's ministry, and there's going to be a video from, from the votes. Good morning. As, as Sean said, my name's Debbie Vote, and my husband Rich and I serve on the mission committee here. This church supports my son, Rich, and his family, who are missionaries in East Africa, particularly Tanzania. I can stand here and I can tell you that my son never grew up planning to be a missionary, but God had other plans for him. Through many years, God prepared his heart and his mind to lead him to the job that was being prepared for him. God put into their mind to go on two separate mission trips to Zimbabwe, Africa, with their church. While they were there, they developed a love for the people and the place. However, it wasn't until they met an organization called Pioneer Bible Translators that, at a mission conference that they felt called to become full-time missionaries. They wanted to be able to help put the Bible in the heart language of the people in Tanzania. So they sold everything, they quit their jobs, and moved from everything they were familiar with. Through the entire process, God had been with them, helping with all the adjustments of living in a foreign land and providing a family through other missionaries who was also living there. God has been providing support for many people just like you who wanted to be able to spread his word. They have been living in Africa for two and a half years and will be coming home for the first time this fall for home assignment. They'll be here for seven months, and I know they are eager to come and share and to personally thank all of you for your support. Last year, I had a chance to visit them. 
And I can tell you from personal experience, not all of us are called to be foreign missionaries. <laughs> Some are called to serve right where we are. But you will never know unless you take that first step and see what God has prepared for you. Uh, my son has made a video that he wanted to share with you. Thank you. the vote family and we just wanted to thank you today for your financial support uh, my name is rich boat this is my wife sarah and this is my 10 year old son jonathan Hello. and we are missionaries with pioneer bible translators so we are support missionaries working in east africa tanzania uh, my role right now is the support director and um, go ahead I currently am teaching the kindergartners of the missionary kids, and I help out um, with all of all the missionary children with their schooling. I am 10 years old. I am one of the students in the class. So as support missionaries with Pioneer Bible Translators, we help with the seven different language projects that we're working on over here, and um, we make sure that the missionaries uh, for example, in my role, don't get distracted with a lot of the administrative burden. We can't wait to share with you all that God's been doing here in Tanzania, Africa. And we are looking forward to being able to do that by the end of this year on our brief home assignment. Um, so we will see you at the end of the year. We would love to stay in contact with you between now and then via our Facebook, our um, blog, emails. We just hope that you add us to your daily prayer list and we just thank you for your support today. We look forward to seeing you in the fall and uh, fellowship with you once again. Blessings. Of course, not all missions are foreign. I'd like to call up uh, Mrs. Carrie Pennington, the director of Sophia Women's Center. That's line number 5015 on your sheet there if you want to look at uh, how we support them. Thank you, Carrie, again for taking time out today. Good morning. Thank you so much. My name is Carrie Pennington. I'm the executive director of the Sophia Women's Center, and um, I'll briefly share what we do, what we're about. Some of you know our mission. Some of you have been to um, some of our events in the, in the community, have been to our banquets, or have toured our center. But I'll briefly share with those of you who don't know about us our mission. So, so the Sophia Women's Center, we reach out to women who face unplanned pregnancies. About 90% of the women that are calling us through Google, they find us on Google, are um, looking for an abortion. They feel like there's no other hope for their pregnancy, so they're typing in keywords and they're looking for a way out. Um, they call our helpline, our advocate answers, and asks some key questions, like how far along are you? Um, have you been tested for an STD? Um, we'll walk, through, walk you through all of your options and treat you with um, kindness, compassion, non-judge, we won't judge you, and um, comp um, in compassion, which I just said. So, um, 
The women often feel trapped in their acquiring information on abortion. Um, we offer our services for free. We offer all the, the testing done is done by the nurse. We have a sonographer on staff. She does the free ultrasounds. And we walk them through their options, which are parenting, adoption, and we talk them through the truth of abortion. And they fe- we feel like if we lay the truth out to them of all those three options, that life through adoption and through parenting will be the most appealing for the women. And we found that to be true. Um, some of the assumptions that we operate by is the vast majority of women do not want an abortion. They often feel cornered or trapped in their circumstances. Um, most women that come to us who are considering abortion, they feel insecure and unsupported. And we can show them that there are resources out there that can meet their needs. More often than not, they will land on life. Um, one of the other assumptions that we offer on is that if a woman is afforded peace of mind and security, more often than not, she will choose to have her baby. So um, they, the, women are look, the women that are coming to us are looking for security. And if we can offer that to them and, and point them to the hope Um, there is a great chance that they will choose life for their baby. One of the steps in our process, we have a 15-step process, which is all scripted because we want to treat each woman the same and fair, um, is step nine of our appointment. So after that woman um, has the nurse, um, she runs her pregnancy test, we have about five minutes for that to, um, we have a five-minute window, and our advocate will talk to them about their spiritual being. You know, we're there to um, treat their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, and we ask permission to talk about their spiritual well-being, and most people don't often and care to inquire, you know, these women care to inquire about that for them. So um, only one patient out of the, I'd say, 180 women that have come to, through our doors has said no to the spiritual talk, which means that these women are hungry for the truth, which is we are shocked and surprised by that. Um, so our advocate is able to share the gospel with them and pray with them. And one of our uh, patients from last month, she, we asked them, you know, do you have a spiritual background? Did you attend church? And a lot of them say, you know, I used to go to church, but I've stopped attending. And we asked permission to pray with them. And we had a woman said last month, you know, just put her arms out to our advocate. And just she, she actually, they, they cried together. She was so hungry for someone to hear her story and offer her hope. Um, so that is powerful. Um, we rejoice that since opening over two and a half years ago, um, of the um, women that have come to us, 82 women had a heart change for life. And like you may think, wow, out of the 180 women that have come, not many of them, you mean not all of them are pregnant. Um, but these women that are coming to us, are, they feel like adoption is their only option, so that the fact that they had a change towards life is huge. It is amazing. So we are rejoicing over those 82 babies. Um, And I want to thank your church for making it possible to be a place of hope in Salem, Ohio. Um, Last year in 2017 alone, 47 zip codes walked through our doors. Women are not only coming to us from Salem, but they are Googling us. They're calling from Akron and Canton and you name the city. They find us online and they are driving to us first before even thinking about going to a Planned Parenthood or to preterm in Cleveland or Allegheny and Pittsburgh. So we're being that first call, and that's what we pay top dollar at Google to be. So they would come to us first, and we have the opportunity to share the hope and truth with them about the life-affirming options that we that we have. So um, I'd like to introduce you to Amelia. She'll be a short testimony of uh, just a sampling of one of our patients' stories. So um, enjoy Amelia's story. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying 
Jesus is merciful, and Jesus will save. Soy de Ohio y tengo 20 años. Hi, my name is Amelia Marie Nieves, and I'm from Ohio, and I'm 20 years old. Oh, I was in shock. I'm pregnant. This is my first time. What are they going to think about me? What's going to happen? And I was crying. I was nervous. All my thought was going that my dad is going to flip out for real. And that's what happened. At first, when I was with my boyfriend, I passed through a lot of bad stuff with him. He even told me to abort the baby because he won't be there. My first thought was abort, cause that's one of the things when I go out of my mind. It's hard. Probably they're gonna think, how are you gonna think something like that? When I just heard the heartbeat was 150 per minute. <laughs> I was so happy. <clears throat> At the same time, like, Look what I just got a life inside of me. I got my my baby, my son, or my daughter still is inside of me. Then I just changed my mind. It's, it's hard sometimes, but a good thing that I just choose that. Yes. It's hard. I'm really grateful. I'm really thank you. God. I know I passed through a lot. Probably my dad still like You're still young, how are you gonna do all of that? And like, I still got time to do it. I'm just, I'm not alone. I have family, I got people, I got friends, not even that. God is here. He's doing what he needs to do. Thank you. So we have 82 testimonies like that. Um, we are excited to say that we had one 18-year-old choose adoption, and we're proud of that number because that is a hard, it's a hard sell, and not many um, people are think, uh, choosing adoption. Our average age patient is 26, our youngest has been 14, and our oldest has been 52. 52. So, big spectrum that we're reaching. Not only do we reach women who are facing the unplanned pregnancy, we also have an amazing um, group called um, the Hope for Healing Program, which re reaches out to women who have had abortions. And it's a 10-week Bible study that walks them through God's forgiveness. We want to care for that woman who, who felt like she had no choice and aborted, and we want to love her well and help her to see how God loves her, and he cares for her, and he wants healing for her. And that is a part of our story. You know, I've shared, I think the last time I came here, my story is similar to Amelia's. I faced the unplanned pregnancy at 16. I was told to abort um, by my mother, um, and um, now my daughter is 22. She's a senior in Bible college, and I'm just amazed that God can take our messy stories in our life and use it for his glory. And so we see each woman that walks through our door as a future testimony because we know that God created that baby, that baby was created for a purpose, and we have that window of time to reach into her life, offer the hope, offer her security, and just um, to love that woman well. And that's what we do at Sophie Women's Center. So I want to thank you for your support. I want to thank you for your prayers. Um, we have text to pray cards in the back every time we have an appointment. Um, I sent out a text. I've said two Sophias today. Please pray for them. 
Um, Friday we had two patients come through. Uh, the second patient is pregnant with twins, and she came through very abortion determined. There she was eight weeks along, and she had a, a she has an appointment Tuesday to abort, but she canceled her appointment and she's returning to us on Tuesday for another ultrasound to see a picture of those babies. So pray that her heart lands on life. Um, it is so. We're, you know, we're facing, we're facing struggles, um, each phone call and each appointment. So just continue to pray for us. Pray that um, it, this, this will be on more hearts. Of, it's hard to kind of talk about in church because some of us have messy stories or have, been, have walked through either situation. But, you know, we know that God can do a mighty work in everyone. So I just want to thank you for your time and prayers. So there again, you'll see, you can see, when I go to Thailand, I go 12 time zones away. And Sherry says, if you go any further, you're coming back. But we have right here, right now, happening. You know, all the time. And, and, and praise the Lord, we're, we're here to support. Uh, number 5016, one of the pillars of our church, Brother Cliff Votaw, is going to talk to us about the Salem Community Pantry. Like John said, all our efforts aren't around the world. There's a lot of uh, emphasis put in this area that knows both regionally and uh, locally for our support, which we do in, in, uh, on a daily basis. Uh, one of these is the uh, Salem Community Pantry. It was founded about ten years ago by nine churches, one of them being First Christian. Um, we was a major uh, supporter financially and also by people. Today uh, we carry about 12 volunteers weekly out of our congregation at the pantry working. Uh, in 2017, we had 1,270, 1,230 families were served at least once in the 44460 zip code, which we serve. This represents uh, 3,900 individuals, and that's about 35% of the 44460 area. So there is a lot of need in this area. Families can receive food twice a month and uh, <clears throat> uh, this generates a total in a year of 7,456 families that received food from our pantry which consists of 25,000 individuals. This government is concerned mostly about the seniors and the children getting food and, and in that 25,000 3,250 of them were seniors, 7,456 were children under the age of 17. So we are serving the area in the way that the government requests. And um, in serving that many people, we serve 316 tons of food, distributed at a cost of $8.24 per family, which averages about 25 pounds of food per person per visit. And like I say, they can come twice a month. It's a very uh, encouraging, I'm a little bit familiar with it. I've put a little bit of time down there. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it's very rewarding. So if anybody wants to volunteer, we have always have needs. And we thank you for your support in that area. Other areas of, uh, that we support locally and regionally in this, uh, through the FCC missions, is the Sophia House Way Station. Banquet of Salem, Salem Community Pantry, 
Church Women United, Hospice of Salem, Christina House, Salem Transient Program, Local Benevolence, Lamb's House, which is for male addiction, Rogers Honor Farm for boys, Rock of Salem, Create a Smile is our Christmas designation. We also have Thanksgiving for the community. We support the Tobin Center as their needs with their ministry to the children down there. And support Pastor Aries' kids. And in the college campuses, we support Kent State and Ohio State with their campus Christians. Keep the keep their faith going through a change in their environment, and it's been working well. We also have support regional relief as needed due to floods or um, area problems and situations. And that's what I have to say. This is a little bit unplanned, but uh, with us is one of our members, Rachel Yokely, and uh, my wife mentioned this to me, uh, to mention it, that Rachel is the director and runs American Heritage Girls here at the church, and they meet every Thursday. So Rachel and the ladies that help her, they have a Bible study, and then they do the different things that they need to do for their badges, but we're also trying to reach our children young enough and let them know how important they are, especially our young girls. And uh, Rachel, we thank you for the work that you do with that. At the beginning of the year, we had some money left over from 2017. The missions team thought it was right to uh, give them a lump sum. We gave them a lump sum, and probably going into next year, we'll look at doing some regular giving towards the American Heritage Girls. Um, Number 5025 and 5036, we got a little bit out of order there. The Martins are going to come and speak about the American Indian Mission, the Northwest Haiti Mission, and then we'll jump back to 5032. So if the Martins will come up and share about uh, their travels. I know last year they went to the American Indian Mission. We gathered some belongings here that they took with them, and we're excited to hear what they have to say. The American Indian Christian Mission in Shiloh, Arizona was founded in 1969 out of concern for the spiritual needs of Native American people. Vacation Bible schools were held on the Navajo and Hopi reservations in the state of Arizona. Later land was purchased near Shiloh and a boarding school for Indian children was started in 1985. It's still at this location. Children from the Navajo and Apache nations have benefited from the Christian-centered education offered them, which includes a culturally relevant message of Jesus Christ. Parents send their children to the school because they know their children will receive a quality education. For example, if a child comes to the mission school after being educated in reservation schools for any length of time, they usually are one or two grade levels behind where they should be. For this reason, class sizes are kept small, so the mission teachers are able to catch them up quickly. Other reasons parents send their children to the mission school are they know their children will be kept safe in an environment that is physically superior to what most of them come from. Some of the children come from areas on the reservations that don't have running water or electricity. Some face issues of drug abuse, gang violence, and physical abuse in their communities. Alcoholism is runs approximately 80% on the reservations. 
During the summer when school is closed, volunteers come from throughout the United States to provide four summer enrichment programs for the Native American youth, while some volunteers help with the summer maintenance projects. Children are brought in from the reservations, usually numbering 20 to 40 campers for the five-day camps. Each week is designed per age group with ages 7 to 9, 10 to 12, junior high, and high school. The mission has an old school bus painted light blue, making it easy to recognize that it's used to pick up the children from the reservations and take them back at the end of their week. The campers enjoy Bible lessons, praise and worship services, crafts, sports, and recreation. The mission provides facilities and food for the campers and volunteers. The blue bus is also used as an outreach of the mission. Each week, the bus travels to different locations on the White Mountain Apache Reservation with team members providing biblical teaching through stories, songs, and crafts to relate to the children how much Jesus loves and cares for them. In addition, volunteer groups that come to the mission often leave a sign with their hometown and the miles they drove to get to the mission. Finally, the mission is still collecting box tops for education, which are worth 10 cents a coupon. We have a blue container in the foyer where you can drop off your coupons, which are counted and mailed to the mission quarterly. I'd like to thank you all for your support of the mission. we have the first, the map of Haiti up there? Thank you. I'd like to read a portion of the mission statement of the Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. Quote, the mission at Northwest Haiti Christian Mission is to passionately pursue Christ as his followers by aiding the people of Haiti in their passionate pursuit of Christ and facilitating others to engage with the Northwest Haiti Christian Mission in the, our efforts. Since the mid-1970s, Northwest Haiti Christian Mission has, been, has built partnerships around the country with various churches and individuals who are interested in Haiti. And Rich and I are a pair of them. Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. It is a country with few trees because they cut them all down many years ago to make charcoal for themselves and for the rich people in other countries, including America. They are routinely hit by hurricanes, and the country is still recovering from the earthquake in 2010. I would like to acquaint you with a few of the staff and programs that are at the mission. As you can see from the map, the mission has expanded to several different campuses from when I was there. When I was there before, there were three. And now there are like, I don't know, seven total. Some of those blobs on there are overlapping. Um, the next slide is of Autumn Marshall. She's a very special person. And she has to be pretty special she, because she works in a place called the Miriam Center. This center is very close to my heart because babies are often sent to the Miriam Center to die. Um, families can often not take care of children with special needs 
And so they find care for them there. This is hard to talk about. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing you can do for a child in the Miriam Center is sit and rock them. Okay, next slide. This couple is Jose and Jody Castillo. Jody is the daughter of the founder of the mission, Larry Owen, and she, Jody and her husband have lived in Haiti as long as I know them. I'd like to tell you about a story. One day, some people brought a baby to the mission. This baby was 18 months old and weighed 12 pounds. Jody took an eyedropper and fed that baby, and she lived. And later, they adopted her. Her name is Michaela. I've brought my scrapbook. It's in the back, and it is open, I hope still, (laughs) to a picture of Michaela. She's a chubby little girl, and lo and behold, she has an eating disorder. They adopted her as their own, excuse me, as their own, and they have several other children now. The next slide. The people at the mission have an education program, not only for the children, but they have an education program for future ministers in Haiti. Next slide. They also have a nutrition program for those kids. The nutrition program gives the children at least one meal a day, and it's mostly rice because that's available. In addition to the rice, though, they give them vitamins, and these vitamin supplements have increased the health of these children. Okay, next. They support two orphanages. Uh, The children in Haiti are sometimes orphaned by the hurricanes and uh, the earthquake that they had. There were a lot of orphans created during that time. But also, AIDS is very prevalent in Haiti. And the children in Haiti lose their parents and they have no place to go. And so they are accepted at the orphanage. Um, Sometimes children do have parents, but they can't care for them. And so the mission will accept them as well. Uh, Next slide. There's a program called the Grand Moon Program. Grand Moon basically means old people. Remember when I talked about the nutrition program? Well, the the need for lunches and vitamins for the kids? Let me explain how the Haitian society works. In Haiti, if you have three kids, and those kids are, those are the ones that make it to adulthood, because a lot of children do not make it to adulthood in Haiti. Uh, The three kids grow up, get married, have families of their own, and these families move into their own houses. And so when dinner time comes around, the parents get to eat first. Then what they don't eat, the children get. If there is anything left, that's what the grandparents get. So if you have say three children, you have three families that you can go to to get their leftovers. And so your chances of survival are better. Um, So maybe you need to 
have maybe six kids instead of three, right? <laughs> so you can also go to the mission. The mission has a program uh, for the Grand Moon program. Whoa. A Grand Moon program. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, the Grand Moon program feeds parent, the old people two, one to two meals a day. And they have like a nursing home with someone in charge, and they have complete with rocking chairs all along the back porch of the, of the building, and it looks like Cracker Barrel. It's kind of nice. <laughs> they also have a medical ministry. Uh, Northwest Haiti Christian Mission has a surgery. That's for emergencies. They have some government doctors on call. And they also have unstaffed offices for dentists and op- ophthalmologists and optometrists. So if you know of any dentists or ophthalmologists or optometrists who would like to go to Haiti, I will go with you and take you there in a New York minute. Um, see, they also have see a birthing center. I don't think I told you to go to the next slide, did I? Okay, that's the Grand Moon program. There we go. Um, the, I can't see what that is. Medical ministry. Okay. Um, because of the, I had the privilege of working in the pharmacy when I was down in Haiti. And it was really cool because this is how it worked. If you were to come to the mission and you needed medicine, you would go see a lady called Miss Pat. She works in a different mission now at a different campus. But you would see Miss Pat and she would give you some money. You would go down to the pharmacy, buy your medicine, give them the money, and then they would slip the money back to Miss Pat. So they recycled it long before we were recycling in America. Um, Next slide. My favorite, this is the birthing center. I helped deliver a baby. Her name was Suzanne Michaela. Um, There is a woman down there by the name of Magdalena, and she is totally amazing. She is, she does everything. If she were in America, she would be president. I have no doubt whatsoever. But the problem is, Michaela, as strong as her Christian faith is, when asked to do something that would mean she would confront someone about voodoo, she was afraid. As strong as her faith is, she was still afraid. These people are so enraptured by voodoo, they are caught up in it. It's a trap or a prison. And my goal is to help these people, and I hope it's your goal too, to free them from this prison. Everything that the Northwest Haiti Christian Mission does is, is presented with the gospel. They present everything they do in the name of Christ. Um, if anyone would like to go to Haiti, I hope you will consider asking me about it, and I will be glad to go with you. Preferably sometime in January. That would be the best. Thank you for your time.
and we'll call up Sally Carrier and she will finish our presentation speaking about Hope Made Real, which is line 5032. I'll try to be quick. I know you've been sitting a long time. I'm Sally Carrier. Um, you may know the history of Rwanda, but I'm representing Hope Made Real, which is in Africa in the country of Rwanda. The city that Hope Made Real um, is, is in Gitarama, and I'm going to be saying a few names that are African. You, may, you might like to try them out because they're kind of fun to say. <laughs> Uh, Fred and I were in Rwanda in 2006. The history of Rwanda is that there was a genocide in 1994. Many organizations went, went in after that to help save the children. Compassion International, World Vision, um, many local places developed orphanages. And this, slow down please on the slides. Can you go back to the two women? And the basket? No, go back. <laughs> the first slide, I think, is a white basket. There it is. Um, many organizations developed orphanages to help the children. Their parents had either been killed or sent to prison after the genocide. So um, I believe they said there were over 3,000 children without parents. Uh, so this, turn to the next slide, please. There is the Facebook part of the country. In the yellow part of Africa is where Rwanda is. In the middle, um, very small country. The, the uh, site you might want to go and check out, because I'm not going to be able to go over all this, is hopemadereal.org. There's a blog every month from the orphanage, and it's just... Wonderful to read the stories of what are happening. Right now there are only 26 children in the orphanage, but they have had uh, 58 come through and graduate, and they're hoping to develop a secondary school. Um, these children go to public school in Rwanda after sixth grade, so uh, because of my passion with children and education, they... Uh, trampoline I went from my other church to this one when Cliff said is there any place else we can send uh, money? I said oh Rwanda we have to do Rwanda so it's just a joy in my heart to be able to do that Mama Arlene, the next slide please, started the orphanage when she was 72 she's on the left in the slide we met her when we were there, um, the woman beside her came and lived with us for a few days in Ridgeway where we lived. Her name is Gertrude Misophoni. Um, she's now on the director's board and volunteers have gone and uh, volunteered to help with administration, with education, uh, and with many of the things that they need at the orphanage. At the end, I'm going to show you also a picture of a woman from Austria, Australia, who has come and developed solar power to save them money for their electric. Next slide, please. These are some of the children waving to you from Rwanda. Next slide. These two have graduated from the secondary school. 
and they're going on into ministry and into nursing. Next one. This is one of the classrooms. There have been many college-age young Americans come go over to help with the education. These children, um, because they were taken to the orphanage as young children, learned English right away. And so um, American students working there as volunteers, of course, are able to teach. They do everything by rote or by blackboard. Very few books in, in the schools in the orphanage we visited. Next slide. <clears throat> There's some of the girls who helped with education. Next one. That's their design for their secondary school. Um, they need quite a bit of money, $200,000. And in Rwanda, money double triples. Um, so that's the hope in time. The orphanage, if you wait a minute, the mission statement there is Uncarando, which is the name of the school. Uncarando Village is an independent home for Rwandan children, created and funded through Hope Made Real, and it's incredibly kind donors like us. We are not funded by any particular denomination or organization and welcome all who seek to help the children of Rwanda and create a better world, not just for the child, but for all of us. Not only is schools important, but there is a spiritual evidence in many of the children, too. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, these two. This is Kenny and Kenila. Um, they were brought to the orphanage by their grandfather. Their mother left them. And their grandfather in his 70s was not able to take care of them. So they were brought as babies. Next slide. There's the grandfather. He, visits, he visited as long as he could, but he's not able. Next slide. This is Jacob. Jacob has a coverall that he wears now since some American volunteers brought it for him for Christmas. He follows around the uh, maintenance person whose name is Benjamin. He calls him Benjamin. So they thought since Benjamin wore a blue one that he should have one too. He has no father image, but Benjamin is his, his father image. And he's learning to do many of the things that little boys like to do with their fathers, grandfathers and uncles. Next slide. There's Benjamin. <laughs> Next one. This one I'm going to have a hard time with. This is Claude. Claude was also brought as an infant to the orphanage by some uh, Catholic nuns. Um, his mother and father were from two different tribes, and he was unwanted. His mother brought him because the... The grandmother was, was injuring and abusing him at home. One of his ears was almost off. He had scars and burns everywhere. He was only three years old. They took him in, and um, he's been educated and, and taught now for seven years. Do you want to go to the next slide? He's a very good young man. He's learning to do a lot of construction, 
with Benjamin, who takes him under his wing. Um, he's going to school, and he's a good reader. Next slide. And he loves to build. Legos are his thing. You see on the bottom picture there, he's built a big, um, some kind of a vehicle. Is it a truck? Semi-truck. Um, of course, they're speaking English. They're learning skills for when they leave the orf orphanage, hopefully secondary school. And um, what they're doing at the orphanage is to make them good citizens of Rwanda, to learn to deal with peoples from different tribes in Rwanda, and to be citizens of God's kingdom. Let's go to the next slide. This young man came and brought many things that were needed for, uh, for the orphanage, including, next slide, clothing, building materials, um, and those are some things that we, we could do if we wanted to get into that kind of thing. It's expensive to ship things to Rwanda, but sometimes we can find volunteers that want to go and we can send them with them. Next slide. And this is a young woman who developed and helped to build the solar pa panels for electricity. So they're saving money that way. I believe that's the last slide, isn't it? Nope. There's Canela and Kenny, grown up. They're twins. Can you tell which one is the girl? <laughs> Great kids. Great kids. So there's many things that we can do for Rwanda. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping the children. I think it's pretty easy to tell that each one of us could spend a half an hour or 45 minutes on each one individually. But um, we thank you for your time and your attention. This gives you a taste of, of, of where, again, where the dollars go. That um, you have brothers and sisters in Christ here that are overseeing, and, the, and we're not just sending money to somebody, we're sending money to a place that we have relationship with. Some of them are ongoing, some of them we haven't seen for a while. Uh, Rich and I were going to Bulgaria this summer. Kremi Dimitrova was here in the fall of 2015. Pastor had her up on stage, for any of you that remember. We've, uh, Sherry and I have continued to support her from the time we met her, and we've been invited over to spend some time with them, and giving our testimonies and, and witnessing to young people who don't either know the Lord or don't, ha don't know a lot. Uh, and we're just looking forward to, to going over with uh, another couple from Ohio that we've met and looking forward to that. So um, with that, I, I know you didn't get a whole lot of locations. I'm a geography guy. I wanted to have each person present what, what, who, they, who they represent. Um, I was thinking of like a bulletin board uh, with pins and, and note cards on it. But I talked to somebody from another church, and they've done a big screen television that has a continuous loop, uh, something maybe a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun to look at. We can change the information out as time goes on. Um, so hopefully in the next couple months we'll have something where you can be on a continual update as you come here to, to church, drink a coffee, look and see what's going on. But we will, provide, we will be providing you with information as we go. Pastor, you, you taking over and we're going to do communion or... Okay, thank you. Real quickly, because I hear some stomachs growling and stuff, uh, so we won't keep you too long, but I am so grateful for uh, the members of our church that have heard the call and have 
realize the burden and taken on the role of being used by God. Uh, the one thing that we do uh, typically in our worship is we gather, we pray the Lord's Prayer, and one, one part of it that is so important to me is when we say, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The mission field is actually one expression of us praying that prayer. And for the people that came up here, a lot of them would tell you at some point, they never imagined that they would be doing what they just did. And um, as you pray that prayer, um, a lot of you may be saying, I could never do that. Let me give you just one little piece of uh, understanding that is such a, a game changer regarding how God uses us, and it's this. Many of us think that whenever we look at something like that, we could say, oh, I could never do that. And I would agree with you. You can't because this doesn't come from those people. It is actually God doing it through those people. And there is a difference. And so whenever we limit God by saying, I could never do that because it can't come from me, I would say, you're right, you cannot. But I would tell you this. If you have an open heart and an open mind and a willingness to be used by God, God will do something through you. But you have to take that step of faith and say, Lord, I'm willing to try to see what it is that you're willing to do through me. And sometimes it's an experiment. We may try it and God may be saying, you got the right posture. We need to direct you over here. And that's just part of the learning curve in being used by God. At the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a middle-aged person. Uh, Sally, I, I think it's fair to say, has gone a little bit farther down the timeline than I have. And we could both probably tell you, along with other people who are coming bef uh, after us, this. That we want to live lives that make a difference. We want to stand before the Lord and we want to say, not only am I grateful that you saved me by your wonderful grace, but in response to that, I was able to do something in this life that would enable your your church, and your kingdom to advance. And that's all we're asking is that you're part of that whole process because that, that is really why God has us here. And it might be why you're here today because somebody honored that process.